So Easter may be over, but joy, joy has just begun. And as a church, we're moving uh, out of Easter tide, a season of 50 days where we celebrate the resurrection, and we're moving now into Pentecost, remembering that Christ has sent the Holy Spirit. You see, we're not just people of the resurrection, we're people of Pentecost, and yet this identity, uh, many are not convinced we live into its full in the West. Daryl Johnson, he's a pastor and teacher in town, and he writes, I know that the church of Jesus Christ in the West will have finally come to understand the fullness of the gospel when Pentecost is as big a celebration as Christmas and Easter. If you're just exploring the Christian faith or you're new uh, to the church calendar, let me just give you a quick rundown. There's a big three, uh, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. Christmas, you're likely familiar with. God sent Jesus into the, the world, so you get presents, and we pronounce that he is Lord because he is God in the flesh. You know, whole, uh, Holy Week and Easter, we remember that Jesus died for our sins and resurrected and burst open the gates into eternal life. But Pentecost, what is Pentecost all about? After the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, appearing to them and teaching them, but also preparing them. And after this time, we read in Acts 1 that Jesus ascended into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God's throne. He ascended with his body, and we're told he did this to fulfill a promise that the Father and the Son would send the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were to wait. And a week later, one week later, the Spirit came. And this is the heart of Pentecost. God sent his Spirit. Now, our Easter sermon series was titled Prophets of Joy, and it's concluding today on Pentecost for good reason. You see, our main question in this series has been, how do we become prophets of joy? And the emphasis so far has landed on joy. We've been exploring joy from a variety of angles and different perspectives. And you can go back and listen to these sermons. And if you've missed any, I would encourage you to do that. But today, our emphasis must now shift to the prophets piece. How do we become prophets of joy? As I said in the first week of this series, God is calling all of us to become prophets of joy for the sake of our city. And so as we explore this idea one more time, here's our big idea. Only the Holy Spirit can make us into prophets of joy. Are you with me? So we're going to be leaving Isaiah today and entering into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, which described the events of Pentecost. So open up your Bibles, if you have one, to Acts 2, beginning in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those gray Bibles home with you, or everything else will be up on the screen. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is only what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So our passage, it's taking place on the day of Pentecost. We've been over that. And the Holy Spirit has just arrived. 
freshly, you know, moments before. And we read in the previous 13 verses that everyone who received the Holy Spirit in that moment began speaking in tongues. And this creates a giant question mark for a lot of people. It creates a giant question mark for many of us in this room. And that's why Peter starts off by saying, hey, these people aren't drunk. You know, in the New Testament, speaking in tongues can be two things. Sometimes it's worshiping God in heavenly languages, only understandable to God. But here in Acts, we see that it's communicating earthly languages previously unknown to the speaker. Because people all around the world, they're gathered from Jerusalem and they're baffled. They say, we hear them speaking in our own language. Look at verse 7 and 11. Are not these who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that we hear each of us in our own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now I get it. If you feel like we're heading into crazy town, uh, this is a normal gut reaction to this event. Look at verse 12 and 13. They were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. And so, out of all the apostles, who would you guess would stand up to defend the church? Peter. And so he steps up to the plate and he tries to help us make sense of it all. He acknowledges the strangeness of it because speaking in tongues, it's strange, but it doesn't have to be weird. He says, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. We haven't been on a bender. That's not what's going on here. This is about that. What's happening here is about something else. He says, this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In other words, this, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, this is the fulfillment of something God said long ago, and it's the fulfillment of a promise God made to us. And then he recites this passage from Joel. We read it in verse 17. And in the last days, it'll be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Peter says, here's what's happening. God is pouring out his Holy Spirit. And this seems like the most basic question we should start with then. Who is the Holy Spirit? We need to have clarity here. The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. As God says himself, I will pour out my Spirit. But there's a few ways we can be reductionistic, where we can reduce who the Holy Spirit is. The first way to be reductionistic is to speak of the Holy Spirit as an it. But the Spirit is not some impersonal energy force. You know, scripture unashamedly teaches that the Spirit is a person. The Spirit is a living being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. This is a mind-bending mystery of the Christian faith. You're welcome to try to solve it, but there's a lot of smarter people than all of us who've done some great work that I can point you to if you want to learn more about it. But this is core. The Holy Spirit is a person. But the second way to be reductionistic around the Holy Spirit is to chase after the Holy Spirit just for an experience or a thrill. You treat the Holy Spirit like a roller coaster. 
You know, some of us here are guilty of this. We pursue the Holy Spirit because we want to feel something or we want to have an experience or a spiritual encounter. You know, we might even be guilty in this case of pursuing the Spirit for motives less than simply enjoying God or motives less than being empowered to go out into the world for the sake of others for God's mission. The third mistake, though, is to reduce the Holy Spirit down just to a theological idea. It's strictly theory, but not practice. You know, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Check. The the Spirit empowers the church to be the church for the sake of the world. Check. But that's where you stop. You don't actually seek after a deeply personal encounter of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. We can personally encounter the Spirit. And when we do, the Spirit empowers us to live for the sake of others. And so I'll say it again. The Spirit is a person who we can encounter, who empowers us. And we have to understand, this is crucial. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no church. Pentecost is the church's birthday. If the Spirit did not come, we're just a boring social club. You can laugh at that one. It's okay. (laughs) Now, please take note of this. God pours out his Holy Spirit. That's what Joel says. God pours out his Holy Spirit. So picture a heavy tropical rainstorm. You know, a rainstorm much heavier than Vancouver's rain. Uh, Someone prayed in Afrikaans earlier. So if you've ever driven through Cape Town during a rainstorm, you have a better sense of what uh, Joel has in mind here. If you've ever been in Florida during a downpour in the afternoon, you have a better sense of what Joel has in mind here. It doesn't matter if, say, you're in your car and you turn your windshield wipers on. They make no difference. They don't help your vision. All you can see is rain. Your vision is rain and rain and rain. And this is the sort of pouring out that Joel has in mind. And speaking of the Spirit being poured out in this way, he's trying to emphasize the extravagant generosity of the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. It's not a drizzle. It's not a shower. It's a downpour. You'll be soaked with the Holy Spirit. What Joel's telling us is God won't be stingy with his presence. He wants to drench us with his life. He wants to share his eternal spirit with us. This means we don't have to go out into the world to search to try to find God because he offers himself to you where you are. He will pour himself out to you here right now. He will live within you in your very life. Because the Spirit has been poured out. We're not waiting for it to happen anymore. It has happened and it is happening. And the Spirit cannot be gathered again. You see, time has fundamentally changed ever since Pentecost. As Joel prophesied, this has begun the last days. We're living in the age of the Holy Spirit. When this age ends, Jesus returns and makes all things new. And in this age, the Spirit isn't just for some like it was in the past. In the past, some kings, some prophets, some judges had the Spirit of God. But now in this age, the Spirit of God is for all. 
all people, irrespective of their status in society, irrespective of their outward appearance. We read in Joel's prophecy that sons and daughters, young and old, men and women, every race, tribe and nation, even servants, the marginalized, even the people you suspect God should have nothing to do with whatsoever, God will pour out his Holy Spirit on any and all. He's just looking for someone to ask. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, if you then who are evil, thanks Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children. He's saying, look, you're corrupt people. You're evil. You have distorted desires and yet you still know how to give good gifts to your children. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, God wants you to have the gift of His Holy Spirit. All you have to do is ask and open up your hands and say, please, pour out your Spirit upon me. Amen. God wants you to have the gift of his Holy Spirit. But maybe, maybe you're more like me. Maybe from time to time, you feel like you should probably ask once more just for good measure. Does the spirit of the living God really dwell in, in me? I'm sure some of you are asking that. Does the spirit of the living God really dwell in him? You would think it would be more obvious. <laughs> the pastor and the author, Francis Chan, wrote a book, about the Holy Spirit called Remembering the Forgotten God. And in it, he writes this. If it's true that the Spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of God living inside of him or her and the person who does not? And now, while we want to nod our heads in agreement with Chan, it doesn't always feel so obvious, does it? It's not like we're walking around downtown Vancouver and have like a Holy Spirit radar, like, oh, that person's a Christian, that person's a Christian, that person has the Spirit. We're not able to do that because the everyday experience of the Holy Spirit is not always dramatic. It can be, but often the Spirit is subtle. And the problem or the risk is that we want to take credit ourselves for the work of what the Spirit is doing in our lives. Rather than give the glory to God, we say, oh, I did that. But if we look through the lens of Scripture to see how the Spirit moves in our lives, you will see that the Spirit is already making a huge difference in your life if you've been filled with the Spirit. Here are just some of the ways you might see the Spirit moving in your life already. First things first, have you asked? As we see in Luke, God is a good Father who gives His Spirit to those who ask. It's a promise. God won't renege on his promises. And as we read in verse 21 of our passage today, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you asked for the Spirit? You see, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're given knowledge. Knowledge. Not random knowledge of previously unlearned topics, but only through the Spirit can you know Jesus. St. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul means. You can't mean it. You can't 
have that core conviction that this is actually true and confess Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit had granted you that knowledge and given you the ability to make that proclamation. You see, if you truly believe Jesus is Lord, if you can't shake it in your soul, if you have that gut reaction that this is true, it's proof that the Spirit dwells in you. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you experience love. Paul writes in Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You know, sometimes this is just the assurance of feeling loved by God. Sometimes people describe it as a sensation, a warmth that they feel in prayer. But when you feel loved by God in the variety of ways that can occur, whether it's reading a passage of scripture or having an experience, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards uh, was a preacher, philosopher, and theologian in the 18th century. Uh, he was crucial uh, in the revival that we now call the first great awakening in America. But he was only the husband uh, to someone much greater, the great spiritual writer, Sarah Edwards. And she records incredible moments of knowing God's love and presence. And what God revealed to Sarah so impressed John that he had to plead with her to write it down because she was too humble to do so. And listen to her own words here. My mind was so deeply impressed with the love of Christ and a sense of his immediate presence that I could with difficulty refrain from rising from my seat and leaping for joy. Clearly, she wasn't an Anglican. I continued to enjoy this intense and lively and refreshing sense of divine things accompanied with strong emotions for nearly an hour. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you experience love. And as Sarah Edwards explains it, love is coupled with joy. Joy comes with love. Elsewhere, Scripture says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to emphasize the intoxicating nature of God's presence, the joyful nature of God's presence. Over and over and over, Scripture says, if you want joy, you can't muster it up. It comes only as a gift and fruit of the Spirit. It might be a smile. It might be holy laughter. It might be deeper than a feeling altogether. It can even be joy amidst suffering. But the Spirit will and can give you an unshakable joy. And if you've experienced this in any of its forms, you've been filled with the Spirit. You've been filled with the Spirit when you've been given a steadily transforming life. You change. See, we're not perfect, but we're being perfected. When you feel the sting of guilt over a sin or over abandoning the ways of God, that's the work of the Spirit in you. When you desire to grow and become more like Christ, this is the work of the Spirit in you. And yes, when you're filled with the Spirit, you can experience the supernatural. You may speak in tongues. You may be able to heal. You may prophesy. You might have words of knowledge. But these gifts are always given for the sake of bringing people to Jesus and for the sake of building his church up into his likeness. Gifts are always given from the Spirit to empower us to grow like Christ and be on mission in the world. 
See, I've, I've labored to some extent to emphasize just a few of the ways the Spirit works in our lives to assure you the Spirit is at work in you. You just have to give Him credit where it's due. And if any of these areas are evident in your life, you've been filled with the Spirit. And perhaps, perhaps, the Spirit is often subtle in our lives so that we'll keep asking. Because a relationship with God doesn't bank on what happened yesterday, but on what is happening right now. Today, will we ask yet again, come Holy Spirit, fill us. Now, from my perspective, uh, there's one area above all others that is neglected when it comes to the Holy Spirit, being empowered to reach others. In my opinion, this is the easiest to neglect. We would rather have the gifts or the experience or the knowledge or the joy and the love. But when it comes to having to share Christ with others by using our words, many of us, if it was optional, would take a hard pass. But being filled for the sake of others is fundamental to receiving the Spirit. Look again at verse 17 and 18. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Twice, Joel emphasizes that when the Spirit is poured out upon us, we will prophesy. It's part and parcel of the Holy Spirit package. Now, what does that mean exactly? Will we be like Isaiah, the prophet who wandered naked for three years? You know, or Hosea, who marries a prostitute as an illustration of God's love? Jeremiah, who has to do some pretty crazy stuff with his bowel movements? Will it be like John the Baptist, the prophet who wore camel's hair and ate locusts in the desert? What sort of prophets are we being invited to be? It's a little less exciting. For starters, let's start here. There's a gift of prophecy. There is a spiritual gift of prophecy. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It continues in the New. Take Agabus, for example. He appears twice in the New Testament in Acts 11 and 21. And he's called a prophet. And in both instances, he prophesies about the future. God reveals to him what is to come. In Acts 11, he foretells of the famine that'll hit Jerusalem so that the churches around Jerusalem can prepare to support Jerusalem through this time. In Acts 21, he prophesies that Paul will be arrested and it will be to his demise. And then there's other unnamed prophets throughout all of Acts. Even all of Philip's daughters are called prophets and they receive messages from God to strengthen and encourage the church. And they even travel around from church to church to hear from God, to speak to the church for their encouragement and upbuilding. In all of these instances, we're seeing the spiritual gift of prophecy at work. It's the gift of God speaking directly into our circumstances so we can know how to follow him now. It's the gift of speaking specifically to an individual for the sake of the church becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the gift that St. Paul strongly advocates for us to pursue. He says, if you're going to pursue any spiritual gift, above all, seek the gift of prophecy. And it's a gift that can even unveil the secrets of our unbelieving 
hearts. But it's a gift, nonetheless. It's available to some, but not all. So, our passage at hand. Are you listening? Our passage at hand. Joel is not speaking of prophecy as a spiritual gift. Because he speaks of a time when everybody will prophesy, not just some. So he must be speaking about something else. And this is where I would say he's speaking about the ministry, the universal ministry of prophecy. And what is this ministry of prophecy? What is it? Amen, brother. Proclaiming what God has done in Jesus Christ for the moment at hand. This is the universal ministry of prophecy. Proclaiming what God has done in Jesus Christ for the moment at hand. You see, the impulse of the Holy Spirit is always outward. God wants to share himself in the world. The Spirit desires to make Jesus known because it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that people can be reconciled to God. And because we know him, because we've received the Spirit, we must make him known. Think about the gift of tongues in this passage. Why? Does God pour out this specific gift at this moment? Look at verse 11 once again. To proclaim the mighty works of God. God doesn't give the gift of tongues as some neat parlor trick. It's for the sake of unifying the world in the message of Jesus. It's an expression of the prophetic ministry. Consider Peter's speech. People are confused skeptical, even doubting. And he stands up and what does he do? He quotes the prophet Joel and he says, this is what's happening. But then what does he do? He proclaims Jesus. Look at verses 22 and 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He proclaims Christ. And then what happens? Jump ahead to verse 37. When they heard, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter, brothers, what should we do? And Peter says, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the most natural reaction is that, to proclaim, forgive me, Lord. To hear the gospel proclaimed for the moment at hand is always what the ministry of prophecy is about. It's about... (laughs) Yeah, the present. And so God gives us gifts, a variety of them, for the moment at hand. The Spirit, in His infinite knowledge, knows exactly what this church needs for us to grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether it's speaking supernaturally in languages you didn't previously know, or whether it's using your ordinary words, When the Holy Spirit is poured upon you, it's for the sake of making Jesus Christ known. So look, to maybe cause you some relief, this doesn't mean uh, that every Sunday you have to be up here preaching uh, to people. You don't have to speak to hundreds or thousands of people. You don't have to be like Peter, preaching. 
But here's what it can look like. And here's a few things you can do to prepare. Because what we see is Peter was prepared. He knew the scriptures. He knew that if he shared this prophecy of Joel, it would be how he could proclaim Christ. So here's the first thing you can prepare to engage in the prophetic ministry. Know your story. Know your story. In one page, can you write down your encounter with Christ? What difference he makes in your life? In one or two minutes, can you share that with someone? Are you prepared? If not, prepare. And then ask the Spirit to give you opportunities to naturally and freely share your story of how you've encountered Christ. And I'd also encourage you to know our story too. We chose the name St. Peter's Fireside because if you learn that story, you know how to proclaim the gospel. If you know both fireside scenes, that at one, Peter denied Jesus, it was a total failure, and completely abandoned the ways, he fell at his worst, and then the next fireside scene, the resurrected Christ shows him grace, extends him forgiven, and calls him into ministry. If you know that story, you can tell people the gospel. And so, if you don't know that story, you can go to our website. We made a short film called Charcoal. It explains it. But if you know your story, you know our story, you're equipped. You have everything you need to share Christ. So the next thing, create a name list. And this is the part I see all of you kind of, you were with me until I actually asked you to do something. (laughs) Create a name list. Write down names. Your family, your relatives, your friends, your classmates, your neighbors, the neighbor for like 20 years that you've been meaning to introduce yourself to but haven't yet. Write down these names. I bet you could easily write down 30 to 50 people that you already know who do not know Jesus. And start simple. Pray for them. Daily, weekly, monthly. Start simple. Deepen relationships. Be intentional. And don't shy away from sharing the most authentic part of your life your faith in Jesus Christ. Another thing you can do is you can ask the Spirit to help you be open to divine appointments. You know, these are the moments where you sense and you feel you're supposed to do something, that God's leading you. You know, it might be when you're on the bus and you feel like you're supposed to sit beside this person, but you don't because you're like, ah, it's probably just the burrito I ate. You know, someone comes to mind and you feel like you're supposed to call them, but you, you just don't take action. You see, I think the Spirit leads us in tons of ways. We're just not still enough to listen. So ask Him to make you open to these divine appointments. Prophetic ministry can be as simple as sharing openly about what you do with your time on the weekend. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Well, Sunday I'm going to church. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Hey, that might be a conversation killer, but at least you're being honest. Or you can simply persist, and I mean this, you can persist in inviting people to visit one of our services or to visit your community group. I mean, I, I mean honestly, every single one of us who calls St. Peter's home, every week we should have a goal of inviting at least one person to come visit on a Sunday service. Now, if the reason you're not doing that is because you feel like the service isn't accessible enough to someone who does not believe in Jesus, I want to hear that. 
Come and talk to me because I want our church to exist for the sake of others because God loves the people of Vancouver and wants to save them. But he wants to do it through you. And see, that's the response we should have when we hear a proclamation like that. Now, you might be asking me, why am I stressing talking about Jesus instead of the actions we can do, like serving the poor, caring for the marginalized? Look, we should do that. But prophetic ministry is fundamentally about words. It's about the Spirit using us in a variety of ways to call people into a living relationship with Jesus. You might do that through preaching. You might do that through teaching. You might do that through relationships. You might do that through supernatural gifts. But no matter what this looks like for you specifically, A, you don't get off the hook because we're all prophets in this sense. And B, if you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will move you to want to share Christ. Let's consider Sarah Edwards once more. When she reflected upon being filled with the love and joy of the Holy Spirit, she said, So strong were my feelings. I could not refrain from conversing with those around me in very earnest manner for about a quarter of an hour on the infinite riches of divine love in the work of salvation. She's saying when you're filled with the Spirit, you can't help but want to talk about the greatness of God's love and the joy that's been given to you. The problem, as St. Paul says in Thessalonians, is that it's possible to quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. And I'm afraid... And I say this sincerely, I'm afraid that sharing the gospel might be our greatest weakness as a church. I'm afraid that sharing the gospel might be our greatest weakness as a church. You see, there's this powerful cultural narrative that pushes against us. Keep your faith to yourself. Don't push your belief on others. And we struggle with this, and perhaps out of fear of popular opinion or disrupting the status quo, this leads us to quenching the work of the Spirit in our lives. But there's other issues too. We can be selfish. We do this when we try to just make the Holy Spirit our own personal pet. We just want experience after experience without any empowerment to reach others. It's not even really about the Spirit then. It's about what you want to feel. We can be proud You know, we don't want to hurt our social image. We don't want to be that Christian who talks about their faith. You know, we don't want to surrender control to the Spirit's leading. We want to do it, if we're going to do it at all, on our own terms, at our own time, with our own style and skill. But we can also deny the Spirit. And we do that when we intentionally and consistently live in ways contrary to Christ. When we indulge in our favorite sins again and again And again, we are going to quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. But the good news is that God does not wait until we're perfect to pour out His Holy Spirit on us. He's willing to work with us as we are right now in this room. All we have to do is ask, and He'll do it. But we don't get to set the terms. We can't say, yes, come Holy Spirit, just not there. We have to surrender. We have to open our minds, open our hearts, open our hands and say, come Holy Spirit, do what you will. God, I want you to do what you will through me with your spirit. And maybe you're not there yet. And I get that. Maybe your prayer is, God, I want to want what you will. 
God, I want to desire what you desire. I'm not there. Grant me the desires. But we cannot and we will not become prophets of joy without the Holy Spirit. It is not possible. It is not possible. And we will not be the historic church of Jesus Christ if we do not exist for the sake of others. And we cannot become this church without the empowering presence of the Spirit. So yes, today is Pentecost. Today is the day we remember that the Spirit came and gave birth to the church, but every single day is Pentecost. Every single day is an opportunity to be empowered by the living God in your soul. And my hope in this sermon is only to have stirred a hunger in you for this work of the Holy Spirit. Do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you want a fresh filling of the Spirit's power? You only have to ask. 